This episode is sponsored by the Principal Center. The Principal Center is a provider of professional development for high-performance instructional leadership. Go to the website principalcenter.com. On this website, you can find a lot of resources and services on leadership. And now, let's go to today's podcast. Welcome to today's podcast in research in leadership in early childhood settings, schools, and social care settings. Today we are going to listen to an interview that I have conducted with Shen Yong Tang. He is an assistant professor at the University of Hong Kong. Enjoy the interview. So I'm sitting here at the University of the Faroe Islands, and with me at the other end is Chen Yong Tan, and he is an assistant professor of the University of Hong Kong. Uh, first of all, welcome to the podcast, Chen Yong. Thank you, Johannes, for having me here. Uh, and maybe you can first of all tell you the time here in the Faroe Islands. It's eight o'clock in the morning. What is your time? Oh, it's 3 p.m. in the afternoon. <laughs> ah, that's quite yeah. amazing, and we are still in the same conversation. <laughs> yeah, it's all from technology. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, Chen Yong, maybe you can first of all tell us about your professional background and which experiences you have with leadership. Well, um, I'm now with the University of Hong Kong, like what you have introduced me as. Uh, previously, I was involved in some research in the National Institute of Singapore, of Education in Singapore. Mm. We were doing a big-scale leadership research um, of Singapore schools. And uh, prior to that, uh, for many years, I worked in the Singapore school system, rising up the ranks to reach vice-principalship before I left the service to join academia. Here I am at the University of Hong Kong. This is my end of my. This is my fourth year, fourth year here, mm. with the Faculty of Education. Okay. Okay. We have a limited time, Shen uh, Yong. So I have asked you to pick one uh, research article or one subject to talk about. What would you like us to talk about? Shall we talk about um, instructional leadership and for whom? Does it seem to benefit the most? Ah, okay. Yes. Let would us... that be appropriate? Yeah, yeah. That would be perfect. Okay. Yeah. So, so instructional leadership um, is is it one of of your favorite um, research subjects? Um, in a way, basically, my my interest is in trying to understand more about this notion of school leadership. And, and as we all know, there are different types of leadership. So when I zoom in on this notion of what we call instructional leadership, that means principles focusing on teaching and learning. Mm. And I want to find out what type of students does it benefit the most? Um, when I say which type of students, I mean students who are different from, you know, coming from different backgrounds, attending different types of schools, having different types of parents. So I want to investigate whether 
leadership effects are uniform mm. across different students or whether they are contingent upon the context. That's part of my research agenda. And, and you have carried out a, a study? Oh yeah, um, there's a study that, that I, I've just uh, published. Um, what I did was I examined PISA 2012 data. Okay. PISA 2012, we will all know, is from OECD, mm. and it's a very big data set international. So I just focus on a subset, the OECD countries, 32 countries, involving 10,000 principals, 250,000 students. They are eight graders, 15 mm. year olds. Okay. Yeah. So I have um, two interesting findings. Um, number one, across the countries. When I compare different sets of leadership practices, only instructional leadership consistently shows positive relationships with student achievement. Okay. And I thought that was interesting. Mm. So all the talk about you know distributed leadership, that means empowering teachers, all the talk about transformational leadership, they all do not seem to make as much impact as instructional leadership. Okay. But that's only one part of the story. The other part of the story I found is that from the results, when I divided my sample, student samples, into different groups, three groups in, in fact, and uh, at one extreme is what I call the disadvantaged group. This group of students come from the low social economic status families. Mm. They have very poor academic results. They have parents who do not expect a lot from schools mm. so you can call them a bit disengaged parents they attend schools that are typically poorly resourced in terms of teaching quality in terms of educational resources and what I found is that instructional leadership actually has the most beneficial effects for this group of disadvantaged students okay. as compared to privileged students okay so yeah. this, this is a quantitative study Come again? Is this a quantitative study? Oh yes, it's a quantitative study. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And 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 you have only used the data from PISA 2012 for this study. Yes, yes. And and are there questions in PISA 2012 about instructional leadership, or is it the definition you have made afterwards? Um, there are questions on different leadership practices. Ah. And. Uh, yeah, a subset of which measures instructional leadership. In okay. fact, I also compared um, um, instructional leadership with the notion of distributed leadership, mm. and also leadership whereby principals involve staff in vision setting, and leadership, and also leadership whereby principals solve classroom problems with teachers. But all these types of leadership practices do not seem to benefit students as much as mm. instructional leadership. Mm. Okay. So, so instructional leadership is a term that is defined in many different ways. And if we, for example, look to North America and Europe, it, it's kind of defined somehow different maybe. But, but how do you define instructional leadership? Well, uh, I'm constrained because I'm, I'm using secondary data from PISA. Uh, so, uh, yeah, the PISA items that specifically measure instructional leadership are things like whether the principals align teachers' efforts with the latest research findings, 
whether they involve them in discussions about teaching and learning, things like that. So it's very much, um, I would say it has very strong resemblance to the essence of what we call instructional leadership. But it can also argue that it has a strong flavor of learning-centered leadership. That's a notion that's used in more in the UK. Mm. Exactly, yeah. Exactly. So, uh, so what is kind of the message of this research? I think the one big takeaway for me is that school leaders have to be a bit careful in what they do to benefit students. Well, especially if the cohort, the school situation, uh, where your students are coming from disadvantaged backgrounds, maybe it's important to focus a lot more back to the basics, teaching and learning, as opposed to merely involving and empowering teachers in high-level school strategic planning, for example. It doesn't help. What helps is actually getting teachers, involving teachers back in teaching and learning and empowering them in these professional aspects. It helps a lot in terms of students' learning. Mm. And, and, and how can a principal get his teachers to focus on the learning? I think uh, like what I shared, one way is by empowerment, getting them involved, not just in the classroom, but also getting, getting them have a say in which other new teachers to recruit, how to set salaries, for example, work conditions, everything to do with teaching and learning and to do with teachers. And the other big factor is morale. Hmm. Teacher morale is very important. Um, the same study that I've shared just now, I also investigated how instructional leadership, how the effects uh, are transmitted to student learning. Okay. And it's by two, two things. Number one, teacher professional empowerment. Number two, by enhancing teachers' morale. Hmm. And how do you define teacher morale? Well, teachers' morale, whether teachers uh, set high expectations for the students' learning, whether they talk favorably about the school, they feel good to be part of the school, strong school academic identity, hmm. how teachers create that climate to foster positive student learning. Hmm. So it's it's a matter of, of the culture in the school. Yeah, you're right. Mm. Uh, yeah, it affects the culture or you can say the climate. Mm. Okay. Um, so, so there are two results. Firstly, instructional leadership is the only leadership style that seems to have an effect. And then it is especially good for the disadvantaged students. Yeah. Yeah. Um, if I may add, the, the interesting thing also I, I, I found from the study, you know, in this group of disadvantaged students, the schools that attend, typically these are the schools where the levels of instructional leadership is the lowest. Teachers' morale lowest, teachers' professional empowerment the lowest. Oh. And yet, precisely, it's instructional leadership that makes the difference to these schools. Okay. That's interesting. <laughs> <laughs> And and, and, and uh, this is across all countries, so there are no uh, countries that is specifically good in doing this. Well, what I did was, uh, because I focused on OECD countries, so my purpose was not really to differentiate the countries, but rather look for commonalities. Mm. 
Yeah, so I, I could not really tell you from this style analysis um, whether there are country, between country differences. Mm. Yeah. Do, do you think there will be differences between countries? I think there will be definitely minor dif- uh, sporadic differences, hmm. but uh, maybe not as much as we would expect if we were to compare, let's say, developed countries with non-developed countries, yeah. where, the th- where the principal priorities are totally different. Hmm. That's my take. <laughs> okay. If we go down to the individual uh, principal. What, what advice can you then give to this principle regarding the research you have carried out? Well, I would say know your students well and don't, uh, don't be tempted to fall into the, to join the bandwagon. What is fetish sometimes may not work so well for your students. So be, so discriminate, be discriminated. Know your students, know your contacts well, know your teachers well. Mm. At the end of the day, we're all guided by one principle, to promote student learning. Yeah. <laughs> if, if we then have a school with, uh, let's say, 1,000 students, how is it yes. then possible for a principal to know his students well? Well, I guess a lot of it is uh, through a lot of communication with the teachers. Teachers are at the front line, so, mm. so you cannot deny that principals have to work very closely with teachers. That's why by empowering teachers professionally, teachers will be able to factor in all these key information and characteristics about students, uh. and that in turn in, inform and influence decisions about curriculum, about assessment, and that helps student learning. Uh. So, so knowing your students well, it's it's a matter of, of speaking to the teachers about the students. Yeah, I think that's a, in a big way. And I think um, this idea that we, we all seem to agree, I, I suspect, about this indirect influence of principles on students through teachers. Mm. Yeah. And, and, and it's not about the principal going out and talking to the students themselves or... Eat. I guess it helps in terms of morale, uh, school morale overall, but I, I suspect how much effort can the principal do this? Mm. For example, in the context of your school example, 1,000 pupils. Yeah. Yeah. In Singapore, in some of the primary schools we have... Uh, oh, I say Singapore because... Uh, I come from Singapore. Ah. In Singapore, some of the primary schools can go as big as 2,500 students. Mm. So how can a principal know every student? He mm. has to work together with the teachers. Yeah. <laughs> and is it also about um, uh, reading the data, for example, with tests and with, uh, uh, with quantitative studies of the students, so the, the principal has to kind of probably read the results of yeah. those tests? Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Uh, I think uh, data, if used to the, in the right way to inform teaching and learning, will be excellent. An excellent practice of instructional leadership. Mm. Okay, and then you say that a head teacher or a principal needs to know his teachers well. How, how can a head teacher or a principal practically do that? What does I guess it? professional collegiality is very important. Um, I know some principals, they are very involved in even teachers' professional development. 
you know, not just supporting in terms of resources, but in terms of time and commitment. Physically attending courses with them, talking to them about problems, about issues, about research on what helps teach students learning. Yeah, being very hands-on, I think it helps a lot. Hmm. It sends a strong signal to teachers. Yeah, and then I have read in another article of you that you suggest that uh, a head teacher or principal could install uh, the action research methodology yeah. as a part of his instructional leadership. Can you maybe unfold this a bit? Um, well, I, I think in the context of um, this notion of professional learning communities in schools, um, different schools do it differently to create this community. So action research is one way. Some schools, they, they involve teachers to solve authentic learning problems of students in their school. Mm. So teachers organize in teams, they try to brainstorm and test strategies, pilot them to see whether it works and to refine the strategies. So the principles can be facilitated of this investigative process. Then I think they are enacting what I would call a very progressive 21st century instructional leadership. And, and, and do you think that in the 21st century we need to, um, to do the instructional leadership in another way than we did maybe in the 80s and 90s? Yeah, I, I totally agree. I, I find one thing that is very lacking. Um, my observations could be wrong, but one thing that I, I suspect is very lacking in schools is that many principals who concentrate a lot on teaching and learning, they apply knowledge from research, but they don't create knowledge. And why is knowledge creation important, you will ask? Well, in schools, I would argue that the context, every school context is different from another. Mm. And therefore, you need a unique set of knowledge to cater to student learning needs and profiles. And therein lies the value of action research, for example. Mm. It can be other setups like learning circles. Uh, in Japan, they have lesson study. Mm. But all these are getting at the same problem. Basically, to know students better, cater to student learning needs, and facilitate the whole process. Mm. And that's why I believe principles can make a contribution. Hmm. Okay, and, and, and if we talk about uh, putting teachers into action research group or professional community, do you think then it's important to have all the teachers to do that? So is it like a, 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 a obligation or, or a demand that all teachers shall be involved, or, or do you think that a principal will have to make these action research group or professional com learning community groups voluntarily? <laughs> Thank you, that's an interesting question. I think the whole spirit of this professional learning communities in schools is that it must be bottom, bottom up, mm. it must be professionally driven and not top down, not imposed. But I also argue that every teacher is responsible for teaching and learning. Mm. That's why they are called teachers. So if you go by that logic, I think everyone has to be involved, mm. no matter 
they can differ in terms of degree of involvement or intensity of the projects of the investigations but they all must have the aim of trying to improve student learning and how to do it through inve through in investigation through research through trying out through piloting through observations mm. and communication with fellow teachers mm. so if you ask me a quick answer would be i think in theory everyone should be involved although they, they, it may be more beneficial to coax them, appeal to them, to a higher sense of purpose of teaching as a teacher than to mandate it, that they do it. Mm. And, and uh, in, in the Nordic countries, we have the teachers who have one class, they will be in a team. And then, uh, yeah, and then what, what you are suggesting, do, do you think that that these teams which are teams around one class shall be shall they be the actual research group or do you think that the teachers shall form new groups of their own interests well i i think the the, the key difference between school-based research and academic research that you will expect in a university is that the former is very problem-centered it's very contextual hmm. And therefore, I will suspect it may be more beneficial if it's not they don't target isolated groups or specially formed groups in schools. Rather, do it authentic. Ah. Integrate their research with daily teaching. Okay. Just like the Japanese lesson study model, I think it's a very useful model for us to uh, take reference with. Hmm. Can you shortly explain the Japanese model? Well, lesson study, um, they are very involved in lesson design collaboratively. Let's say a group of teachers, it can be a level, it can be a department. They collaboratively design lessons, discuss problems, discuss learning objective, and implement the lesson. And when one teacher implements the lesson, the other teachers in the same team, they may sit in to observe. After the lesson, they reflect, evaluate the lesson, improve on it, and maybe have a cycle too. Mm. To see whether it works better in a different topic, but with an improved technique to address the same problem. Mm. So the cycles go on, and they take a lot of time deliberating, communicating, reflecting, and in the end, they grow as a community. Mm. Okay. So, so if we go back to your uh, to your article where you found these two findings that instructional leadership was very kind of defining, uh, and then it was good for the disadvantaged students. Did, did, did any of these findings kind of uh, surprised you? Um, did they surprise me? I think the first one, um, the instructional leadership seems to be superior to many other types of alternative leadership typologies. That I think there's some support in the literature. Mm. Um, although sometimes the evidence is a little bit mixed, but overall we'll agree the principle should focus on teaching and learning. Mm. It's a second finding that is to me interesting because so far we do not know, we have no clue as to what type of leadership benefits different groups of students best. Hmm. especially for those who are most vulnerable, like disadvantaged students. Hmm. So we know that instructional leadership is good for the average students. But how about the disadvantaged students? 
versus the privileged students. So to me, it's an eye-opener. Suddenly I realized there may be some value in instructional leadership, especially if we want to address social inequality, mm. if we want to help disadvantaged students. Yeah. So that surprises me in a way. Huh. Okay. Yeah, time is flying fast, Shenyong. Yeah. So we will actually have to move to some closing questions. So, so given the research you have done now, what, what future research do you think is necessary in this area? Well, I, I think I, I still, I'm still interested to, to do two things. Number one, to clarify what does instructional leadership looks like in this 21st century. Um, yeah, I, I think um, Hellinger and Murphy first came up with this notion of instructional leadership in the 80s. And um, in one recent article that I co-wrote with another, another colleague, Professor Clive Dimmock, we talk about how this concept of instructional leadership is gradually becoming obsolete. And so how can we build on this notion? Um, one of my earlier articles, I talk about 21st century skills, the knowledge-based economy, how instructional leadership can focus on generating school-based knowledge as opposed to applying knowledge. So that's one area, clarifying nature of leadership. The second area that I'm interested to pursue is what other contextual factors will seem to benefit one type of leadership over another? So in my in this current study that I shared moments ago, I focused a lot on student characteristics. But how about school characteristics? How about national profiles? Mm. You know, what context at a macro level, at the individual level, at the school level seems to moderate leadership effects on student learning? Mm. That would be my second pursuit. Okay. In this podcast, uh, I am dealing with schools, but also early childhood settings, for example, uh, nurseries, yes. and I'm also dealing with social care settings, for example, uh, uh, an institution for people with autism. Do you think any of these results of yours in schools can be transferred to early childhood and social care? I would suspect uh, there is a lot of relevance. I think the big idea is that leaders, organizational leaders, whether in social settings, whether in preschools or in K-12 schools, they all need to be very familiar and aware of their mission, right? Hmm. So whatever is the mission, they must fit their strategies with their context, with their clients, with their students, with their care, with the, with the people they're supposed to care for and provide service. If they can match their practices to the needs of the people that they're serving, then they will have a better chance of achieving their mission. Mm, okay. Okay, we are uh, coming quickly to the end, Chen Yongtan. Uh, if if uh, some of my listeners want to find information about you, where can they search on the internet? Um, yeah, I, I, I think... Um, if, if, if they Google my name, they'll be able to find at least two websites. One is a Google Scholar page. I don't have a, my, my personal. I don't have my personal homepage. Mm. So they can find a Google Scholar page with a listing of my works, and the other will be my University of Hong Kong homepage, ah, okay. where you can find again more details about what I do and uh, the type of research that I'm engaged in. Okay. So I hope that helps. Yeah. And of course, they can email me. Mm. 
Yeah, then I will say thank you very much, Shenyao Tang. Yeah, thank you, Johannes, for this opportunity it has to been share. Really interesting. Thank you. Bye bye. Bye bye. Thank you for listening to the podcast Research in Leadership in Schools, Early Childhood Settings and Social Care Settings. I hope you have enjoyed the interview and that you have gained some new insights into leadership. I hope that you will listen to the other podcasts in this series. A new podcast is being published on the first of every month. You're also welcome to join us on Facebook. There's a group called Research in Leadership in Schools, Early Childhood Settings and Social Care Settings. If you just type in the name of the podcast in the search field in Facebook, you will find the group. Once again, thanks for listening and bye-bye.